Hey everyone, welcome to episode 149 of the In Focus podcast. I'm your host Andy Corrigan. With me as always is Andrew Brown. Hello. And Tori Wassenaar. Hello. And this week we're going to talk about uh, a bunch of old things really. We're going to talk about Enter the Gungeon, uh, which Andrew touched on briefly in a previous episode. We're going to talk about The World Ends With You, uh, Switch Edition obviously, and Doom Eternal actually, uh, seeing how that Switch port handles. And I'm going to talk about Takeshi and Hiroshi, one that had been on my list for quite a while. So uh, no news, uh, apart from some minor rumours and rumblings of releases and Switch Pros and things like that. So we don't do rumours here, so we'll, we'll just skip on to the things we've played. So let's get on with that then. Okay, Andrew, enter the Gungeon. This is the bullet hell roguelike from memory. Yeah, and I first talked about this a long, long time ago. This came out in December of 2017, so this was one of the first games I actually talked about on the show. (laughs) Enter the Gungeon is a procedurally generated dungeon crawler, bullet hell, twin stick shooter. And it takes place in a place called the Gungeon, which is this magical remnant of this giant bullet that impacted into the planet and left behind a crater in which was built this monument to guns and to all things shaped like bullets. Even the dungeon itself is shaped like a gun, and each of the different floors you go through are called chambers, like you're in a, a giant revolver. It's 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 gun, gun, gun. Everything in this game is a gun, <laughs> including the enemies, who are called the gun dead, and most of them are bullets that have been animated into life and try to shoot you with guns so you've got bullets with guns shooting bullets at you and there are a bunch of other different random enemies who are just people and cultists who have wandered down into the gungeon and have been warped into different creatures that are down there all of which are trying to kill you with guns and there are a bunch of different kinds of bosses and the bosses is where they really have a lot of fun like there's a a giant medusa boss whose name is the gorgon emphasis on gun this time (laughs) instead of you know gorgons and there's a giant balrog who is the cannon balrog so it's a balrog with a balrog face but the rest of its body is just a giant cannonball that ricochets around it and there's a giant tank there's a beholder you know, the giant one-eyed monster from Dungeons & Dragons, but it's called the Beholster. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of humor like that. and The rest of the game's humor is, is mostly reference humor. Like, almost everything in the game you can find is a reference to a movie. Like, you've seen The Fifth Element, right, Andy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you can find Zorg's gun in this game, that <laughs> gun that has magnetizing tracking bullets and a rocket launcher and shoots nets. This gun doesn't shoot a net, unfortunately, but it has all the other features, and it's <laughs> called the Zorg gun. <laughs> and, like, one of the characters you can play as the convict starts with an item that increases their damage when they get hit. The item is a photograph. Its flavor text is don't believe their lies. It's just nonstop <laughs> reference humor like that in all the items, so... It's a good time to just scroll through all the items that you've encountered in the game in the in the codex, which I'm sure has a, a gun reference name, but I've forgotten what it's called. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the overall goal of the game is to fight your way down through five chambers of the gungeon to reach the bottom, where there's an item called the gun that can kill the past. 
because that's the ultimate goal of all the characters you're playing as. There's something in their past that they have done that they regret, and they're trying to use this gun to travel back in time and undo what that did. And, you know, the mechanics of how that works are is kind of ridiculous, and it's a little more complicated than just finding the gun itself. There's some other things you have to do, but I want those things to be surprises for people who actually play the game. As Andy said, this is a roguelite. It's a very standard sort of roguelite where each time you go into the dungeon and you try to progress you unlock some things that add to your overall meta progression but when you die you have to go back to floor one you have to start over from scratch and as you're going down you can rescue prisoners who can head back up to the breach which is the top level of the dungeon and that's where you start out it's 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 sort of a lobby it's where you select your character and once you're there you can talk to all the other characters who provide different services like there's a hunter duo who will give you bounties to hunt a certain number of enemies in the gungeon and when you reach that bounty count then you unlock a new item you get some credits that you can spend on permanently adding more weapons to the gungeon and there's a bunch of different shops you can unlock there's some characters who just add flavor to it there's another character who adds new elevators to the gungeon so you can skip down to a certain floor if you want to although if you do skip floors you're cutting yourself out on a lot of rewards along the way not the best idea if you ask me i would never do that but that option is there and as i mentioned there's credits that you can get from the bounty hunter you also earn them from killing bosses and you can spend the credits to unlock more weapons to add to your weapon pool and there's a fair few of them. I, I've been playing for over 30 hours now, and I still haven't unlocked everything that these shops sell, although I'm getting pretty close. I'm starting to see the end of their their stock, and the only things that are left for me to buy are just super expensive items. It's going to take me hours and hours of grinding to reach. As with most other roguelites, Enter the Gungeon has a certain element of luck and skill to it, although I, I feel in this game it's more so than in other roguelites I've talked about on here, especially Undermine, which I felt was of a fairly moderate difficulty overall, that one that I played a few months back and talked about, or uh, Hades, which we played last year, that is the easiest roguelite I've ever played, which is why it's a really good entry-level uh, game for the genre if you're looking to get into these sorts of dungeon crawlers. Uh, Enter the Gungeon, I would say, is the hardest one I have ever finished, and that's for a number of reasons. Now, that's predominantly because it's a skill-based game. There's a lot of bullet hell navigation that you have to do where enemies are shooting patterns of bullets after you, and you have to navigate between them to avoid getting shot. One thing I've learned playing Enter the Gungeon is I'm actually, I'm really, really bad at <laughs> bullet hell games. I'm never going to play the shmups because I know what'll happen, <laughs> I will get destroyed and get demoralized and I'll just give up. Now the idea I'm sure with a bullet hell game is that when you play it, you know, you get better at recognizing the patterns and you can navigate between these these sort of labyrinths of bullet patterns that get shot at you and I, I did get better but I never really felt like I got to the point where I was navigating the gungeon on pure skill. I felt like I was mostly getting through on luck. And that's where the other half of this game comes from, and I'm using half pejoratively there. I actually feel most of the times when I was successful in this game was down to luck. Uh, luck involving, you know, getting good weapon drops. Quite frankly, a lot of the guns in this game, I 
did not like using them. I thought they were bad, uh, especially the guns that charge, where you have to charge the gun up, then release it. My brain just could not wrap around charging a bullet up, then releasing it, while also dodging enemy fire. Just I just could not do it. So if I got a run where I got a bunch of charge guns, I knew right then and there I was not going to make progress on that run. And also there's synergies between the weapons. Most of my most successful runs were where I was lucky enough to get a good weapon synergy put together that took two bad items and put them together and made an awesome item. Uh, and also luck involving health and armor drops. On sometimes when you're running through, when you clear a room, you'll get health drops. You'll get a lot of health drops. Maybe you'll get more health drops than you need. Then on your next run, you get nothing. And the same goes for ammo drops to refill your better guns, because each character does start with a gun that has unlimited ammo, but it's not a very good gun, and you want to upgrade off it as soon as you can. Uh, keys is another thing where sometimes I would get a ton, and sometimes I would just get nothing. And shells, which is the currency in the gungeon, and you can spend it in a shop that appears on each floor. Uh, some runs I would get a lot of shells that I could use to buy more keys or health. Uh, other runs I would get nothing, and I would just have to hope for the best and rely on myself not getting shot, which was not always good for me. And more luck involving getting good dungeon layouts. Sometimes you get rooms that have good enemy varieties, you know, not the most challenging enemies in the game and rooms that have a lot of cover and this can happen on the bosses too some of the hardest bosses in the game actually are a lot easier if you get their dungeon layout room that has a wall in it that you can hide behind to avoid their fire some of the bosses just overall are much easier or much harder than the other ones this can be very disparate between the floors like some of the second floor bosses are super easy and some of the first floor bosses are much harder than this super easy second floor bosses and there's the fourth floor boss I think was usually the one that I got stuck on the most usually if I was going to you know fail horribly on a run that felt like it might go all the way it was on the fourth floor boss and if I got one of the easier fourth floor bosses it went well if I got one of the harder ones and be like oh this is this is going to be a disaster and then also in terms of luck uh, came down to me personally just how I was feeling that day some days I seemed to do really well and then on other days, I could barely get out of the first chamber, which was really demoralizing. There are several days in the past couple of weeks where I, I was trying to play Enter the Gungeon, and I was doing so badly, I just wanted to just give up and just quit and just move on to something else. And then the next day I would play up, and I'd be back down in the fifth chamber, no problem. Very confounding. Uh, one thing I did notice, and this is probably just me, uh, my habits, my, my personality, my temperance was the longer I seemed to play in one sitting, the worse I seemed to do. <laughs> so <laughs> the, that was frustrating. Uh, so <laughs> winning in most roguelites can feel like winning a jackpot. Like, you know, you're going down through the gungeon and you find, or the dungeon in other roguelites and you find like a really awesome ability or a really awesome weapon or something and you're like yes i'm set for this run this run is probably going to be successful winning in enter the gungeon and i've only won once <laughs> in 70 almost 80 runs attempts i've done now and over 30 hours of gameplay just since i started this new save file that's not including all of my attempts in 
between 2017 and 2018 when I was still trying to play it when the game was new on Switch. Winning feels like scoring a jackpot, getting a royal flush, a 21, a black 13, a bingo, and a Yahtzee all at once. That was really <laughs> what it felt like when I finally went all the way. I was like, finally, everything slotted into place for me. I got good weapon drops. I got good item drops. I got good dungeon layouts. I got bosses that I was actually good at fighting and it was on a day where I was actually capable of playing the game so <laughs> I think this is a really cool game I actually when I was thinking about quitting I was already kind of contemplating how I was going to write my review of it and the tagline I came up with was it's the best game I've ever given up on uh, <laughs> glad I stuck with it because uh, I did finally beat it but it's very hard and it feels very fickle and as for the Switch port, I, I think some of my problems might have been because of the Switch, Switch port. It does have some FPS problems. Every now and then, there will be a big hitch that I see. And there were only a couple of times that I really felt like that was actually costing me, like, life or health. Uh, but a friend of mine played this co-op with me a few years back, and he was commenting on the FPS when I couldn't even see it. So I think the Switch port might be the worst place to play this game, but it's fairly easy to get this game in other places. I know Epic Game Store has given away for free in the past. Right now, as we are recording this, it's free on PlayStation Network as part of their stay-at-home initiative, uh, COVID-19 social distancing policies. Uh, so if you're looking for a challenge and you're, you're experienced with roguelites, I do recommend this game, but I really think you should start with, uh, with Hades if you're new to it. I would not start here. Yeah, the, the thing that made me most likely to play it was all the puns. Definitely more of a pun man than a reference humor man. So, <laughs> um, And you've just reminded me I've still not played Hades in any depth. I started on the Switch Lite and that was the worst place to play it. So I gave up on it pretty quickly. So yeah, I should probably give that a look on, on my main Switch at some point soon. Yeah, sounds interesting. I'm not really one for bullet hell shooters. That's probably the reason I still haven't beat Cuphead yet. I was on the penultimate boss, hmm. which is, you know, the randomized series of bosses and I just couldn't nail down the pattern. So it's not, not usually a genre that I, I look to. And I reckon the roguelike and death element of that might just push me over the edge. <laughs> um... <laughs> So yeah. Uh, Tori, you played this one at all? I own it. That's as far as I've gotten. Nice. I think I picked it up somehow. <laughs> um, I don't remember buying it, but I have it. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was announced during one of those indie presentations, mm -hmm. and I bought it because a lot of people were talking about it, and then I just forgot that I bought it. <laughs> Zeitgeist. Uh, oh my goodness. I do that a lot. Yeah, someone who's also bad for their money, I, I sympathize with that. So Tori, you've been playing The World Ends With You on Switch. Uh, I forget what the fancy tagline was for the the remaster. Um, and I bought it on 3DS uh, a while ago. I tried it for half an hour and I just did not enjoy the touch controls at all for J JRPG combat. I know it's not strictly turn-based or anything. It's more of a... It's almost got rhythm action elements but i guess uh tori you can go into more detail on on what that entails so uh, yeah how are you finding this one it took me a while to get my head around the controls um if you pick the touch screen option that's all you can use you can't use any of the buttons at all Gross. they're completely locked out from you wow yeah so i i thought maybe i'll try and play it on the light I, I figured maybe it has a, a control scheme where I can do the touchscreen for the touchscreen specific parts and then use the controllers for like move around the overworld and stuff. Nope, you cannot. <laughs> um, but I, I pushed 
through it. I'm starting, it's starting to gel with me uh, very quickly. Like maybe four or five battles in, I started to get an S ranks in battles. The way it works is that your characters have badges and these badges are basically moves that you can use in battle. Uh, some of the badges, like one of them's like a fire badge. And with the touch, uh, touch screen in mind, basically you're dragging over, you start in an empty space and then drag over the enemies. And there's a, like a, a lightning, lightning ball, ball lightning. I don't know what it's called specifically, but you're shooting like electric bolts at people and that just requires tapping. And I find that that works well. The story kind of matches you up with a sync partner very quickly. It's not fully explained why you need this sync partner, but in battle, tapping on an enemy will bring up your sync partner who will kind of do their own attacks on it. And if you alternate between your attacks and their attacks, you build up a sync rate. And, and when it gets to 100%, you get like an ultimate move. The general gist of the story, I'm only about two hours in. And I only got two hours in because I didn't realize that the game was auto-saving. I thought it wanted me to play a certain amount of the game before I unlocked like a main menu for saving. Uh, it auto-saves. So don't be like me and just stick with it if you're not liking it or if you want to take a break after the little tutorial at the start. It doesn't really communicate that to you either. It just does it. I had to Google it to figure <laughs> it out. I love auto-save, but I like to be able to manually save as well. Just have both. Give you Just give the illusion of control over your save to the player because it doesn't feel good not knowing. Suddenly remembering this game came out around the same time Square Enix put out Kingdom Hearts 2. Yes. Yeah, it's a DS game originally, I believe. Yeah. Like, not 3DS, like DS. Yeah, it's DS. So uh, I've got it here somewhere. It's it's like what we were talking about with uh, Resident Evil Revelations last week. You have to remember that this game isn't designed for Switch. It's designed for the DS or the 3DS. Yeah. And you have to keep those restraints, uh, constraints in mind when playing this. I was confused why this got a Switch port at all, because the first game was designed to be played on two screens. You play mm -hmm. the top screen gameplay with the buttons, and you play the bottom screen with the touch screen. Now, Switch technically has all those features, but it doesn't have two screens. So <laughs> I, I was concerned about this port from as soon as it was, it was, it was announced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you got the option as well to play on the TV and use motion controls with the Joy-Cons. That's how I played it originally when it first came out, and I just bounced off hard from it. Uh, I knew there were touchscreen controls, but I wanted to be able to play on the big screen if possible. Uh, now that I've got the Switch Lite, I'm much more... It's comfier to hold for me. I've got large hands, and the Joy-Cons aren't the right size to fit in my palms for too long. But the Switch Lite is small enough to kind of fit in the balls of my thumbs quite easily. So I thought, I'll give it a shot on this. Maybe I can use motion controls or something with the actual unit. But it doesn't give you that option at all. Uh, it's locked into that touch screen, which means that the way that you hold it, you can't really touch the screen without holding it in a specific way. So that the buttons or the, the side panels of the Switch Lite don't get in the way. So I think the best way, I've yet to try it. But in my head, I reckon the best way to play this is on a full-size Switch with the Joy-Cons detached. Use it as a tablet. Uh, and, and even then, if you get it right, the, the main problem that I'm having is that if you need to move around the arena in a, in a fight, it's kind of 
picky about whether you're touching the character to kind of drag them in a direction or if you're using a fire attack. So it's not incredibly responsive when it's designed for a touchscreen with the stylus. Yeah, it, it sounds like they've taken an already iffy combat system um, and made it worse <laughs> just because of the uh, change of platform. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What you're describing kind of reminds me of uh, Sushi Strikers, which I tried on Switch and would play a million times yeah. better with a stylus on 3DS. And you can get a stylus, like those little rubber nub tipped ones. Yeah, I've got a Mario one somewhere. The, the touch screens, it's still a different experience. I just think that this isn't a game that ports well. Mm-hmm. This isn't saying that the port is done poorly. It's just that this isn't the sort of game, like in the same channel of like thinking Etrian Odyssey I don't think we'll ever see a well done port just because if it relies so much on the stylus and the touchscreen for drawing maps it'll be really hard to do that in anything other than perhaps PC I mean they'd have they could do a auto drawing map based on where you go similar to some of the other you know first person dungeon crawlers that were like available in the Vita um they could but I feel like to a lot of people, the map drawing was mm-hmm. the draw. Literally. <laughs> hey, that was unintentional. I, uh, yeah, the only one of those I played was Persona Q. And uh, yeah, it was fun. But yeah, I, I think it would work. It's just it would remove an element that people are used to. Yeah, you'd be removing half of the game effectively. Without getting all into the negative, uh, the positives are, would definitely be the art style and the music. Just the style of it in general. Uh, I can see why a lot of people recommended this game to me based on my love of Jet Set Radio. Mm-hmm. I was going to mention that. With that sort of street art and street clothing, even. Um, graffiti, all of the badge designs as well also have that sort of street art inspiration. And this overall story so far, I like the concept. It's basically these characters are brought over from the real world Shibuya into this sort of alternate world version of it that overlaps the real one so nobody can see them and they have to play a game to survive and it doesn't matter who completes the mission there's one mission per day doesn't matter who completes the mission if one person does everybody passes there seems to be something more to it that they're not telling yet but um there was a tv show recently i think it was based on a manga even alice in borderland it's a similar concept to that, really. So if you've seen that show and liked that show, that's like a more extreme violent version of what The World Ends With You seems to be. I think it's a common premise for a lot of anime and manga stories, like a isekai sort of the f- genre. Mm-hmm. I think I'd recommend this more on the original hardware than the port. Um, I just think fingers are too big to properly get a handle on the control scheme for the touch controls. The um, The the motion controls when I tried that when the game first came out were just not fun at all. Like really inaccurate and floaty. It's just a game that doesn't port well. That's that's my biggest takeaway. It it really should have had like a proper redesign. Maybe left stick moves the character, right stick has a sort of cursor on the screen or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just it doesn't work that well as it is. It's getting a sequel, isn't it? Yeah, which looks like proper 3D world exploration and everything mm-hmm. something designed for the system it's it's gonna be on <laughs> exactly um i'm playing this more to kind of get a grasp of the story 
Yep. I think there's a anime based on the show, uh, the game now as well. Mm-hmm. So there's probably a, a better or a different avenue to understand the story, but I'm stubborn, so I'm going to stick with it. Mm-hmm. Cool. So uh, lukewarm recommendation there. Yeah, so uh, my turn now. Uh, so Takeshi and Hiroshi, uh, which is a, a game that appeared on a Nindies Direct quite some time ago, and it stood out to me because of its stop-motion art style. Takeshi and Hiroshi is about two brothers. Uh, Takeshi is a 14-year-old boy who's a wannabe game designer. Uh, Hiroshi is a sickly young brother who's excited about the games that his brother makes. Uh, Their father died a few years ago and Takeshi is kind of like the main male influence in his younger brother's life. Takeshi starts showing off his latest game dev project which is called Mighty Warrior uh, which is a bit of a Final Fantasy Dragon Quest uh, ripoff of which he's only done some graphics tests but Hiroshi gets very excited and wants to help playtest it. Takeshi is very reluctant to disappoint his brother by telling him that he's not actually made any gameplay for it yet. So he decides that he has the skills to develop on the fly on his laptop while his brother plays the game on his iPad. Oh no. And pretending that he's doing homework. So they they've uh, they basically get dead excited about inventing a tabletop RPG. So it kind of also reminds me of the Simpsons line about cartoons really going out live because it puts an enormous strain on the animator's it's wrists. A terrible strain on the animator's <laughs> wrists. <laughs> so yeah, uh, so what happens is there's seven chapters. There's a bit of story stuff that's done in this really charming stop motion animation. Like, it is literally just movies that are just interrupted with, you know, the text boxes. They're really charmingly done. I I love the visual style. The animation is fun. Uh, And then when Hiroshi's actually playing the game, it takes place in, like, this side-scrolling RPG uh, where you actually play as Takeshi and you're picking the monsters that Hiroshi will be playing and fighting against. Uh, And how it's set up is each time you, you play this game, you have to... You have five rounds. You have to beat each round and get Hiroshi's joy level to a certain number and they do that with the stress mechanic so this this is where the the themes get a bit weird and mildly problematic for me uh they basically tie the kid's stress with joy so (laughs) if the fight plays out and it's really close and uh Hiroshi's character's near to death his stress levels are through the roof that directly translates into his joy level which is a, a bit messy um, and a large part of the plot is about how ill Hiroshi is so his brother's like purposely stressing him out while he's very ill to <laughs> to give him joy it just it just seemed a bit uh tone deaf you know we all work full-time stress is not a joyful experience that that's not a lesson I want anyone to take but yeah so the the combat itself there's no actual combat mechanics other than uh, you picking the monsters that Hiroshi will fight against in each round. Once you pick them, he'll automatically attack. All the monsters will have a go at attacking him. Uh, you'll you'll pick up some other skills along the way, like you'll be able to dodge once per round or do a, a critical hit once per round. But aside from that, it's pretty hands-off. And the game becomes about uh, trying to get the balance right to get the highest joy level and get him through all five rounds. So it's basically a game about balancing video games. And uh, there's a, a story point where Takeshi throws in a, a monster that's way too tough. It's a story event, so you lose it. And then he's he sits there worrying about discouraging his players by putting in something so difficult. Yeah, so the story with uh, Hiroshi being ill and their, their father having died recently, uh, I sort of had expectations of where this was going to take it. And they touch on it 
in the way that Hiroshi treats uh, Mighty Hero like it's uh, emotional support. Like that's explicitly stated by Takeshi partway through when he's explaining it to a friend. But they never do anything with it. The the ending is pretty much just, yay, I like the game. And, you know, none of the the explorations that they hinted at from from the setup. But one thing I did really enjoy was uh, Takeshi is a proud solo game dev uh, and there's a new kid that joins the school called Yosuke and Yosuke is also a game dev and I can completely relate to this but Takeshi just hates him out of principle that this other kid <laughs> does and enjoys the same thing he does. That's a Simpsons episode too. Yeah, yeah it is actually. Um, and although Morrissey's a bit of a kid now, like he has a song, uh, we hate it when our friends become successful. <laughs> also a flavour of that. Um, Morrissey is telling on himself there. Y- yeah, I think so. And Yosuke is also game dev and he, he shows off his game to Takeshi and you can play that that's that's pretty neat so it's a mobile game uh where it's kind of like an endless runner it's hard to explain but it's a zombie apocalypse scenario you control this woman with incredibly wide legs who like pivots in a circle and you press the button to change the direction that she's pivoting and then you have to fashion that into a walk with kind of a rhythm and avoid zombies and other obstacles it's kind of neat um i wasn't expecting to play you know a game within a game i thought that was pretty cool as for the game itself uh the systems once you get handle on how hard each enemy is you, you it's easy to abuse the systems to get the joy levels that you need but so it's, it's not particularly difficult uh there was a stretch right at the end just before the final boss where the checkpointing was kind of bad and the lead up in getting the joy to to that boss relied on a bit of luck in terms of uh, one of the enemies doing an attack that frees you to extend the number of hits you'll take to get the joy level you need so that was kind of frustrating i did that about 10 times before i I lucked out and got the balance to get to the final boss so yeah so that that was kind of frustrating and sort of went against the rest of the game that was just like a, a chill you know charming story experience and the only other criticism i had really was there's a weird ui thing where if you beat a chapter the default option after beating the chapter is to return to the home menu rather than going to the next chapter which was really bizarre uh that kept catching me out i have no idea why they did that so yeah uh, that that's about it it's mega short it's only about two hours long so yeah it's the charm is the real thing like they could take the video game sections out of this and it would function as a as a neat little uh animated movie you know, a little animated short. Um, and in some ways, I could argue that the pacing would be better for not having the video game in there, which kind of means it's a bad video game uh, in a way. Uh, but the, you know, the story is fun. It doesn't go anywhere deep like it kind of suggests it will. And the game, the gameplay itself isn't particularly engaging. It's very hands-off. So I, I can see a lot of people being disappointed with it uh that said you know i i paid a couple of dollars for it in a sale and there are there are worse ways to spend two hours for sure like the characters are really strong it's it's what they do with them where it has the the let the let down but uh yeah it, it, interesting little experiment i'd like to see this developer expand on the idea and may, maybe do something a bit more engaging or something that hits the mark of its themes a little better so that's where that's where i landed on uh, that uh, I don't think either of you two have played this one, have you? No, but it stood out during that um, indie presentation that they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here. I'll definitely play it someday. It's just not a priority right now. 
Yeah, uh, that's... I, sh- I should check to make sure it's on my wish list. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll never see it again. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the only reason I found it because every week I check my wish list for for sales. So, <laughs> so yeah, so that's Takeshi and Hiroshi. And the last thing we're going to talk about is the sequel to a game I love a lot including the switch port which was the doom 2016 entry uh doom eternal i was way excited for this uh when it came out last year and when i played it on pc i was just crushed i was so disappointed in it uh that i i quit playing Uh, and the reason for that is because there was just so much bloat that they added to it and a large part of the reason I loved Doom 2016 was the rhythm. In a lot of ways, it felt like a rhythm action game. You'd have the pumping metal and you'd just be tearing through everything. And it felt like it was in time with the music. And then I got to Doom Eternal and just the bloat made it feel like there was no rhythm at all. Now, just on my social media circles, I, I see a big split between people who fall on that side and found it a bit joyless. And people like Tori, who absolutely adore it. Um, and... Tori, you've played the hell out of this on PC, I think. Yeah, I'm up to 120 hours on PC Oof. now. Wow. Um, I love this game. Boo. Um, I actually feel like it doesn't add bloat compared to 2016. It refines the scope of it. And a lot of that refinement is within the combat. Um, the doom dance, as the developers call it. Um, can I ask what difficulty you played on? Uh, not, not to shame you, I'm just curious. Probably normal. So, like, uh, I'm too young to die? No, whatever the standard is. Whatever it goes to when you start a game. Okay. So, I think one of the things that this game does well is the higher difficulties of teaching the player certain concepts and then putting you to the test. Some background on the game first, though. Like you said, Doom 2016 is a sort of soft reboot of the series. Mm-hmm. It was left ambiguous whether this is a continuation of the original games and doom eternal as well as the re-release of doom 64 with the extra uh, lost levels it is a continuation of those original games it sort of retcons a lot of stuff even from 2016 that threw me a lot as well where uh like the way 2016 ended uh eternal did not start how i imagined i mean you know it's it's not a sort of game that's story heavy but there was enough there that i enjoyed and like me and andrew talked at length with 2016 about uh how we really enjoyed like the the way the character reacted to the world you know there's a lot of storytelling Mm. beneath the surface that wasn't you know explicitly talked at you about um and then this one just lost me at the beginning weirdly enough it still leaves most of the information in the codex mm-hmm. um so this is a game 2016 and eternal they do do it to different degrees but they both kind of show the doom slayer or doom guys a lot of people know him is completely disinterested in the story mm-hmm. he's got a goal in mind everything else is just he's not that interested <laughs> he'll walk away mid-conversation mm-hmm. he'll threaten people just by uh, cocking his shotgun it's um it's an interesting world building because they introduce the whole element of the night sentinel being an entire race and a whole planet basically based on like the knights templar mm-hmm. sort of design the reason they did that in my mind is to kind of bring the fight closer to hell because mm-hmm. in doom 2016 it's quite claustrophobic in that most of the game either takes place on mars or it takes place in hell in the story is very much the goal is to close the portal to hell on mars whereas eternal opens up 
like it opens the doors up to the Sentinel homeworld where Doomguy was found. So this is one of the lore points that's not really described anywhere. At the end of Doom 64, Doomguy decides to stay in hell to kill demons. Like he, he's just like, he's sick of hell. So he just stays there. And Eternal kind of shows a little bit of the backstory. He's eventually found by these Sentinels and trained as a soldier and eventually imbued with powers to become faster and stronger and he basically the more demons he kills the better he gets that backstory is fleshed out a little bit more in the dlc which i won't spoil because <laughs> they're not out on switch yet but basically he is hell's biggest enemy everyone's afraid of him He's locked up in a sarcophagus because they're they're afraid of him. Yeah, I, they, I love that in Doom 2016, where you you, yeah. you start getting the uh, you know the voice logs of the uh, the lore, and it's just that like they're just utterly terrified of him, and like the gameplay backs that up because you're just relentless in yes, in everything um, you do. That is one of the things that the developers really wanted is the power fantasy that's earned, not given to you. Mm-hmm. It's the one that's more rewarding. And they've doubled down on that in the gameplay of Eternal. I, I know you don't like what they've done with it. <laughs> There's too many new things. What There's too many new toys. And they, they do not... Th- there's a reason for that. but they, And they don't space them out. Space them out. The pro- Yeah, they should have spaced it out. <laughs> I will agree on that. The, the problem with Doom 2016, and that's another one of my favourite games... So it, it does pain me to say this, but you could go through that entire game once you pick up the super shotgun... You're set. You can use the other weapons, but the super shotgun, you got so much ammo. It does so much damage. Realistically, you don't need to swap off it that much. And it also kind of reaches a plateau near the end of the game where it stops introducing new things. You're at full power. And so you're just doing things. You're not really being challenged anymore. It just It's just a series of events until the end of the game. Whereas Doom Eternal is always throwing new things at you, whether it's new weapons, new abilities, or new enemies it's always introducing new things so you do pick up all the weapons i think halfway through the game you should have all the weapons instead of just throwing weapons at you it'll start throwing new enemies at you because in the last quarter of the game you start fighting arch files which if you remember from the original games they can revive enemies and they're just an overall pain to deal with mm-hmm. and they're much the same in this um uh, when there's an archvile on the on the board, instead of reviving enemies, it'll just spawn new enemies, and it will spawn heavy enemies like your arachnotron and the like, um, and mancubi, mancubuses, whichever one you like. It makes it really hard if you don't deal with that threat quickly. You're just making it harder for yourself. With the weapons, it Doom Eternal is much more of a puzzle combat puzzle game. So instead of being like you said, like a sort of rhythm action game like 2016 was in the battles Mm -hmm. this is meant to encourage you to use your full arsenal because certain enemies will have weak points like the arachnotron has a turret tail and with precision weapons so like the scope on the assault rifle or the ballista or even if you manage to lob a grenade a sticky bomb from the shotgun on it it'll destroy it and then that enemy can't use that weapon anymore and it will change the way that it approaches you it becomes weaker without you killing it uh same with the mancubuses you you can shoot off their flamethrowers so they just have to rely on lobbing bombs at you so different weapons have different scenarios where they're very useful but The game never says you have to do that. It encourages you strongly. But if you're out of ammo of the particular weapons that you need to destroy a weak point, you can go all out with the other weapons. But the game 
it's not so much punishing you, it's more rewarding you for getting it right. It's like with stealth games, I was talking to a friend about this, there are stealth games where if you get caught, it's game over. Mm-hmm. And then there are stealth games where if you get caught, it gives you a fighting chance to fight your way out. It's not the way that the game wants you to play, but you can still play the game for failing that one specific uh, notion. And that's what Doom Eternal feels like to me. It um, You can destroy those weak points. You can lob a grenade into a Kakademon's mouth to, <laughs> to stagger it to then glory kill. And I think this is where you were probably getting lost is the whole stuff with the flame belch and the ice bomb and the, the dodging and maybe even the blood punch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just remembered I had too many tools at my disposal and... Like it, I, I, yeah, it, like I wasn't particularly stuck. I just wasn't enjoying it, and that's why. I so bounced. the way, yeah, the way it's it's meant to work is that you, as the player, have specific resources that you need to to function. So you got your health, you got your armor, you got your ammo, and you even have stuff like the blood punch, which I'll get into a bit. But the main three are health, armor, ammo. Doing glory kills, so shooting those weak points and staggering demons, you can do a uh, glory kill and get your health back. And that's a big part of what they call the push forward combat is that it, the game never encourages you that if you're in a hard, if you're in a pinch, it's not encouraging you to hide. It's encouraging you to fight harder. Mm-hmm. In 2016, armor was pretty much just something that uh, you found in the levels. And once that was gone, that was gone. There were some abilities that maybe would drop armor, but it wasn't reliable. Uh, armor basically just takes hits instead of your health. I think there's a like a specific rate at which it gets taken off. I can't remember it specifically, but basically it's more like to keep your health safe, you, you want your armor up mm-hmm. all the time. And the way that they encourage that is with what's called the flame belch, which lights enemies on fire. They'll, any enemy on fire will slowly drop armor, armor shards, and damaging or killing those enemies while they're on fire will drop a ton and it will always keep you armored up and then lastly is your ammo the ammo reserves for all your weapons in this compared to 2016 are drastically reduced and it is meant to be a part of that whole they, they always like to compare it to driving a race car you're you're never meant to stand still in doom or doom eternal you're always meant to be moving always shooting and once you run out of ammo what it wants you to do is either switch to a different weapon or chainsaw an enemy and it will always recharge one charge of your uh, chainsaw um you can hold up to three charges of a chainsaw and you can use all three at once to kill a heavy or super heavy enemy but it's best to to save it for stuff like there's always it's always going to be spawning stuff like zombies and imps for you to chainsaw to get your ammo back Mm -hmm. and that's meant to be the basic core of the combat loop stuff like the ice bomb is more of a crowd control where you can drop a it's they call it equipment so you got your grenade and your ice bomb the ice bomb is your crowd control and that can freeze enemies and you can get away out of a tight spot and focus on something else that's kind of bothering you uh the blood punch is another sort of inner pinch weapon um the melee in this in 2016 you can melee enemies into a stagger state to glory kill them in eternal the melee practically does nothing so you have to charge it up in what's called a blood punch that will do a ton of damage it's like a mini bfg in close quarters (laughs) and that's really meant to give you some space and the way that you charge that up is by glory killing as well uh explaining all of this out loud does make it sound way more complicated like probably (laughs) this is probably what 
Andy is talking about in terms of that bloat. Yeah, it, um, it, it's kind of, it's almost like the Monster Hunter thing we spoke about last week where they just, you know, they, they give you a thing and then don't, don't teach you how to use it or when to use it. And it just, yeah. uh, it just did not feel fun. But um, Re- Relatively speaking, it is spaced out, but it still feels like condensed enough that it feels like it's all being dumped at you at once. Yeah. Uh, the So, I mean, the, the crux of what people are going to want to know here is, so Doom 2016 on Switch was a pretty decent port that no one thought would yeah. work. Apparently this one is even better despite the game being more complex. Uh, has that been your experience so far? I was really surprised about how good it looks on the Switch Lite. Mm. Like really, really surprised. Um, it runs at a solid 30 frames per second. Um, I've noticed some tiny hitches here and there when it gets intense, but I'm about maybe a third through the game. So I am a little bit worried about those hitches because while it does get get intense during that first quarter of the game, it's nothing compared to the last couple of levels. Mm -hmm. One thing I did notice though, and I looked it up, apparently they they purposely set the cutscenes to run at 20 frames per second. Weird. So don't be alarmed if you think that your Switch is suddenly acting choppy. Um, They did it because there's a lot of dynamic lights and a lot of high... Um, poly count models like in faces and the like mm-hmm. so in docked mode it doesn't do that but i found in docked mode and having it on the on the bigger screen you definitely start to see that blur unfortunately this is very much a game i feel is designed for handheld it looks really crisp relatively speaking like it is blurry but it doesn't it looks crisper than i was really expecting i was expecting like a giant blur fest but compared to 2016 it's a definite improvement in handheld the gyro obviously helps as well with your aiming but it's a very different experience if you're used to pc it's a lot harder to kind of land the shots where you want them to go especially i've been playing on ultra violence in the switch and i've been dying a lot whereas on pc i've beaten pretty much all the content on nightmare now um so that that reminds me like i can't remember whether they did this on doom 2016 as well but they definitely did it with wolfenstein 2 uh where they they purposely dropped the difficulty slightly for the switch port and certainly with 2016 i feel i had an easier time of it than i did on ps4 first i've heard of this uh, well wolfenstein is definitely easier on switch like that that's a development statement um yeah i am noticing that i can stand still more on mm-hmm. the Switch version, um, there were because some of the mastery challenges involve getting headshots, and that's really hard to do with gyro on a handheld mm-hmm. screen. So I was standing still trying to do that, and there were enemies um, called the whiplashes. They're a, a real pain to go up against because they're always knocking your vision and disrupting your aim. I was standing still for a good three or four seconds trying to aim a headshot. And you can't do that on mm. PC or not an ultra nightmare. Not the no, ultra violence, sorry. So I feel like maybe they've reduced the rate that they shoot at you. I don't know if it's a Switch specific thing because this game is also on Xbox and PlayStation. Yeah, I also think with Wolfenstein, because the, the Switch versions uh, changes to make it a bit easier were so successful, they actually patched that into the other versions. Don't quote me on that one. That's just a vague recollection of a news post. But yeah, so that, okay. that that's interesting. I do need to go back. So when you played it on PC, did you play with mouse and keyboard? Yes. Um. So I, I, I did actually really struggle with mouse and keyboard and had to switch to uh, Xbox controller and then was having a much better time of it aside from like the, the gameplay 
complaints that I had. I think with first person shooters, I'm not one of those people that's going to say that one is better mm-hmm. than the other. I think that the skill ceiling is higher for mouse and keyboard compared to mm-hmm. controller, but people on a controller can definitely school people playing on mouse and keyboard. I've seen it. Yeah, I mean, um, like I've I've only fairly recently started playing shooters on PC, like last couple of years. So like I've I've grown up playing uh, single player shooters, online shooters, competitive shooters with a controller so it's not a thing i'm unused to i think maybe my problem was actually mm. i played uh doom 2016 on ps4 and switch and never played that on mouse and keyboard so maybe i've just i'm not used to it for that style of game but yeah definitely had a much better time with controller so i think that might be one area where the the switch port will be handy for some i think if if there were a controller i think the the hori split pad whatever it's called yep the pro um that has paddles on the back, doesn't it? Like mappable buttons? Yeah, it's got optional programmable buttons. I think that would come in handy for Doom Eternal because things like swapping mm-hmm. between your grenade and ice bomb and swapping the weapon mod because every weapon weapon has two mods on it. Some mods are better for some enemies and vice versa. So you will be swapping mods a lot and you will be changing a weapon between frag and ice a lot. Doing that to the D-pad means that you're not moving. And things like jumping and dashing they're mapped to B and A. If you're doing that, then you're not aiming. So that's my biggest thing with playing a, a very frantic game on a console mm-hmm. is that moving your buttons between a thumbstick and buttons can get you killed. And it has gotten me killed a fair bit in Doom Eternal. So I think having those extra... Because you've got three extra fingers on each hand that aren't doing anything but holding it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think something like that would help. But the game isn't designed that way. So I don't know whether I can really fault the game on that or not, if it's a design thing or just a, a restraint of a physical controller. Um, there are some differences in terms of first-person shooters between this and other shooters that you've probably played. Things like there's no reloading in this. It's like the original games. You just have a mm-hmm. bottomless bucket of bu- bullets that somehow get fed into your gun. A lot of modern shooters these days do encourage things like taking cover and taking it slow and, and the like. Doom is all about if you need health, if you need armor, you need ammo, you're going to get it by fighting the enemies, not by waiting. I think this is the sort of game that once you get into the mindset of what they're doing with that, the specific enemies and the weaknesses and the strengths of the, each weapon, it really is more of a puzzle game. But... It's it's Halo style combat. It's faster than Halo. Yeah, I know it's faster, but it's it's that it's it's the right tool for the right job, you know. Like I think Halo's halfway, but yes, you're right in that. Like using a plasma weapon against an energy energy shield that feels like it's taken straight out of Halo. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Yeah, you're right. Um, every enemy has you know a an ideal way to kill it. You don't have to kill it that way, but it's in your best interest to kill it that way. But it's at the high difficulties in the later levels. It's going to start asking a lot of you. They like to say it's giving you one thing more than you can handle at any point. And it's not doing it just to annoy you. It's doing it to try and make you a better player. But that frustration factor, everyone's got a different threshold for frustration. Some people are going to give up when it gets to a point where they feel like they're not having fun. Other people are going to be stubborn and go, no, I am going to beat this. <laughs> yeah, don't go into this thinking it's COD is is my overall point. It's, it's a very high skill based thing at the high end. But also, it's a Switch game. You're not playing this on Switch for um for that challenge. You, you're probably playing on Switch because you want to play it on the go. And I think it's a very good port in that regard. 
It's smooth, it's stable, it's playable, but whether or not it's that same level of challenge as on other consoles or on PC, I don't think so. So, But it's a solid port for people wanting to pick it up, so, so that's good. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll get it on Switch if it's on sale. I think it's still installed on my PC in the hope that one day I'll I'll feel the urge to go back to it. But uh, yeah, I think it's half off at the moment at the time of recording. Okay, on Switch. On Switch. Okay, well, yeah. I might take a look at that. But uh, yeah, it just did not gel with me right away in the same way that the other one did. So yeah, I think that's it for this episode. Okay, folks, what are we playing in the coming week? Andrew, we'll start with you. I got a review code for a game called Godstrike uh, after I just got done saying that I'm not very good at uh, bullet hell games. Godstrike's a bullet hell game, so... <laughs> yeah. And Tori? I'm going to stick with The World Ends with you. Uh, I also bought Neocab on Entry's recommendation last ep, and I still haven't played it, so I'm going to try and make the time this time. Nice. How long was that game, by the way, Andrew? Uh, five to ten hours, depending upon how many of the rides you do, or if you just go straight for the ending. Okay, that sounds that sounds cool. It's definitely one I'm interested in. Um, uh, for me, like I'm pretty much just playing Monster Hunter at the moment. Um, I haven't had a lot of time in the last two weeks to play play things, but when I have, it's been that, and uh, yeah, still loving it. Still chugging away at Bravely Default. Actually, just got into chapter three, finally, and I'm hitting a nice rhythm with playing it on the Switch Lite in terms of grinding when I've got, you know, 10 minutes here and there and just being powerful enough to breeze through the story. And, you know, it's playing well into leveling up my, my character classes, so that's pretty neat. But that's about it. No- nothing cool on the horizon that I've particularly got my eye on. Uh, I guess the next thing is Pokemon Snap will be the next big one uh, for Switch and certainly from Nintendo's quarter. Yeah, same. Thanks for listening to this episode of Enfocus. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us get noticed. You can also listen on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState and The Power of X. Both run very short hiatuses at the moment, but they're your place to go for PlayStation and Xbox chats. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with a lively game podular community. Uh, follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at gamepodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links for all those things are in our show notes. If you want to support our shows or the network, you can buy us a coffee or become a Game Podular Patreon. Details for both of these things are on our website. Thanks in advance. Uh, this episode was edited by me, Andy Corrigan. You can follow me on Twitter at Flame Roast Toast, and you can follow the other two on Twitter as well. You can find Tori over at Stew2, that's S-T-W-T-W-O, and Andrew at Play Critically. And you can also read his long-form reviews over at playcritically.com. Yeah.